Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, in your Son, Jesus Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We pray that you would enlighten our minds by your Holy Spirit today. And that you would grant us that reverence and humility without which no one can understand your truth. Through that same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, Happy New Year again. Did you make any New Year's resolutions? Many people do. We've had a few in our house. A survey uh, recently found that the top five most commonly cited New Year's resolutions in this country were as follows. One, number one, top of the list. I wonder what you think it would be. Do more exercise or improve your fitness. That's 47% uh, chose that. Second, uh, most, most chosen resolution is quite close to it, lose weight. Thirdly, improve my diet. These are all around the same sort of theme, aren't they? Fourthly, save more money. Especially keen, that one after Christmas, isn't it? And then fifth, the fifth most popular New Year's resolution is to take up a new hobby. I wonder if any of them sound familiar to you. But it's interesting in that list, which has no surprises, there is something, actually the most important thing is missing. There's nothing about loving God. There's nothing about the care of our souls. So this morning I want to share with you the most important message you're going to hear in 2022. Now, I've not finally flipped and got delusions of grandeur. I get this from the words of the Lord Jesus himself. Have a look back in our passage there, Luke chapter 10. Jesus says this in verse 41. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, if Jesus says that only one thing is really needed in our lives, then how important must that thing be? Here's the most important thing we need to hear this year. A message that you will not hear anywhere else. A message, actually, that has the power to change your life, to transform you. Much more than joining a gym, losing weight, or saving money, because it will change you from the core as a person. But only if you heed it. And here's the way I've tried to summarize this message. Sit at Jesus' feet. Devour his words, because there's no more important meal. Sit at Jesus' feet this year. Devour his words, because there's no more important meal. Now, this story of Jesus that we find here in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, Luke let me give you a bit of context. Luke has spent the first nine chapters of his gospel, and they're very long chapters, answering the question, who is Jesus? Luke has written nine whole chapters presenting the evidence for Jesus' identity. And the evidence stacks up to this. Jesus is the Messiah. Messiah, another word for Messiah, is Christ. That's why we get the name Jesus Christ. It means King Jesus. The Messiah is the unique king whom God has promised through history in the Old Testament, will come and solve the world's problems, will bring about justice, social justice, will bring about environmental justice, will solve the world's problems, will we'll deal with wickedness and sin and systemic evil. But Luke has also established that Messiah Jesus is intentionally heading to die. He's intentionally heading to death 
on a cross in Jerusalem. And the key verse, the key transition verse in Luke's gospel, Luke 9 verse 51 says this. I'll read it out to you. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven through death, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So we're in the second part of Luke's gospel where it's taken nine chapters to say who Jesus is. And now we've got actually another whole ten chapters before Jesus even gets to Jerusalem. So what's the point of this middle ten chapters? This middle ten chapters is all about what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to be a Christian? We get the answer from in Luke 10 for ten chapters. And here in this passage, what now we know who he is, we now need to figure out what it means to follow him. And we're starting to get these answers. And just before this section, a lawyer had tested Jesus with a question. You can read it on the page before. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Very important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus has replied very wisely, what is written in the law of God? How do you read it? And this lawyer knew the, the Old Testament like the back of his hand. And he said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, well done. That's the answer. These are the two greatest commandments in the Bible. They're the two commandments from which every other commandment comes. They're the heart of what it means to obey God, to love him, and to love our neighbors ourselves. And then Jesus told a story to illustrate what looking, loving your neighbor as yourself looked like. And you remember it, it's the story of the good Samaritan. We won't rehearse that here. Now, it would be a bit odd, wouldn't it, to have some teaching there on what loving your neighbor as yourself looks like. Good Samaritan. And then have no teaching on what loving God with all your heart looked like. And that's what this, I believe, this passage about Martha and Mary is teaching us. What does it mean to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? We need this lesson because if we only had the Good Samaritan, it could leave us with the impression that being a Christian is all about being an activist, active service in community, doing good. And of course, that is an essential part of Christianity. But on its own, that could lead to huge imbalance and huge problems. In fact, if we only focus on serving other people and we neglect our devotion to God, we end up with big problems because even our service gets corrupted. You see, there's something even more important than loving your neighbor, and that's loving God. And that's what we need to learn from Mary we learn here that we need to sit at Jesus' feet and devour his words because there's no more important meal. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, I, I don't think you're very surprised by what I've just said. It might even sound a bit old hat. You may be nodding your head in agreement and thinking, yeah, I know this, I know this already. So what? Let me point out that this message is particularly intended for us because evangelical Christians, Bible-believing Christians, are most likely to be like Martha. <laughs> we are most likely to be like Martha without realizing it. In fact, some of us already are like Martha. Here's how. We know that Martha was a person of faith, a woman of great faith. In John 11, her brother died. She said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that you will do whatever you ask God will do whatever you ask. Now, that's a great 
a great statement of faith, isn't it? A woman of great faith. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the God who is coming into the world. You see, Martha is the one who makes the great confession there. A woman of strong faith. She's also a great servant. Notice there in Luke 10, verse 38, she welcomes Jesus into her house. It says, Martha welcomed, opened her home. And that means Jesus and his disciples. So at least 13 men have just arrived in town and she welcomes them, open home. Just imagine trying to rustle up a meal for 13 hungry people. She welcomes them. She's a great hostess. She shows hospitality. She opens her home. She loves Jesus. She serves his people. I think there are a lot of people at King's Church just like this. Many of us are Christians who love to serve Jesus. We open our homes. We share our resources for him, for his people. We have faith. We've made the good confession. We're like Martha. That's all good, by the way. But could it be that we're like Martha in another way too? Because her service of Jesus overwhelmed her love for Jesus. Her service of Jesus overwhelmed her love for him. Now, nobody sets out wanting to be like this, do they? But this is what happens. She comes to Jesus and complains about her sister. Here it is. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha is there working away. And Mary's doing nothing except sitting at Jesus' feet. <laughs> As the young boy down here put it so eloquently. <laughs> so Martha is making a comparison. She's comparing how much she is doing with what Mary's doing. And she's feeling pretty fed up with that comparison because she is so busy. So very, very busy doing good. And so she comes to Jesus and complains. And here's where you know that something has gone wrong when you hear these words. Lord, don't you care? Lord, don't you care? See, her service of Jesus has now overwhelmed her love for him to the extent that she's turning on Jesus and having a go at him. And that's basically what's going on. And remember, Martha and her family are close friends of Jesus. They're disciples. She has strong faith. She's a great servant, yet her service overwhelms her love at this point. Now look, there's something even more important than loving your neighbor. And that's being a lover of God. This is the most important thing we need to hear at the start of 2022. We must learn how to sit at Jesus' feet silently. Devour his words, because there's no more important meal. I just have three quick points today. In a true Baptist fashion, they all begin with P. Martha's paradox, Martha's problem, and Mary's priority. Paradox, problem, priority. Firstly, Martha's real paradox is this. There's a tension in the story, because when 13 hungry men show up at the house, there actually is a lot of work to do, isn't there? There really is a lot of genuine serious good work to do a lot of salad 
needs to be chopped and food needs to be prepared and the house needs to be suddenly made ready to host guests. The washing up needs to be done and the table cleared and set and the shoes put away and a quick hoover through. You have to put the guests at their ease and make them a drink and tell them where the loo is and pray that the loo is presentable. Especially if you have young children. There's so much to be done. People look everywhere. There's a great practical need and someone's got to fill it. Not only that, but the Bible is full of encouragement to God's people to be hospitable. So Martha could have thrown in a few proof texts here as well. Romans 12. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13.2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You know, if we've ever entertained an angel, I'm still unaware of it. But anyway, we keep doing it. 1 Peter 4 verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. (laughs) So here's Martha's paradox. We can feel her frustration, can't we? There's so much to be done, and there always is so much to be done, isn't there? The church community. We moved here in the summer. I've been um, serving this church now for two months. We are constantly blown away by how much service is going on at King's Church and through this community outreach arm, the center extraordinary range of things that happen here are just mind-boggling. I don't even know the, the, the full extent of them yet. So much to be done, and it's all good. Life is overwhelming, isn't it? It has to be done, and the Bible tells us to be hospitable. So Martha has a real paradox. She's absolutely right to be serving and looking after these guests she's kindly welcomed. She needs to do it. She can't just drop everything. But she has a real problem too. Secondly, a real problem. The problem is not that there's something inferior about practical service when compared to other forms of Christian service, like studying or teaching. And this has to, be, has to be said. There's nothing inferior about practical service compared to things up the front. But it's so easy to drift into that. And we kind of imagine that if we're here doing this sort of teaching or playing music or speaking, speaking that, that somehow that's more important than what's going on practically. It actually isn't. It's all service. And service in the Bible is, is called ministry. So anyone who's serving in our church is doing ministry, right? We don't have this two-tier thing. This is not saying that what Martha is doing is inferior. Now, in the Middle Ages, this text was used as a justification for the monastic movement, monks and nuns. It was used to justify withdrawal from the world and seeking a higher life, devoted to prayer and so on, and trying to get away from mundane busyness, as though the life of contemplation was superior to the life of action. But this passage isn't teaching that, and nor does the rest of the Bible. The problem isn't that that service is somehow inferior. Nor is the problem that Martha is a perfectionist. She's the kind of person who's uptight about everything, trying to make everything perfect, and as a result, making everyone else feel uncomfortable. You know? She has to load the dishwasher. (laughs) Anybody who's been in our house will know I have this reputation. There's no sense of that in our text, that Martha is this perfectionist, uptight person. Nor is the problem that Martha was working hard when she should have been relaxing. The Bible constantly affirms a robust work ethic. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. 
whatever you do, whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God. If your role, if your main ministry at the moment is raising children, which is a 24-7 occupation, it is the most exhausting work, isn't it? But it is God-glorifying. Do it for his glory. Change a nappy for God's glory today. Woo! We had 10 years of solid of nappies. Solid, not the right word to use. <laughs> then we had a break, and then we had another child. Yeah. If your role this week is going to work some capacity, do it for the glory of God. If your role now is not to work, but to spend time in retirement, use your retirement for the glory of God. Whatever we do is for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul actually says at one point, by the grace of God, grace, I worked harder than any of them. Grace is free, freely received. You don't have to work for it. Because of God's grace, he says, I worked harder than any of them. So there's not a problem here with working hard. So what is the problem? <laughs> the problem is priority. She has let her service of Jesus overwhelm her love for him. And how easily we can do that. And I've done it in my life many times, friends. And maybe you have too. Look at the symptoms. Verse 40. She is distracted by all the preparations that have to be made. And this word distracted has this sense of uh, agitated. She's all churned up. Um, busy, pulled away. She's here, there, and everywhere. Verse 41. She's not enjoying her service. Jesus says, you are worried and upset about many things. She's over-concerned. She's anxious. She's tied up in knots. She's apprehensive. She's emotionally disturbed all over the place. This is not someone who's serving and enjoying the service. And in verse 40, we see that all of this is going on in her heart, and it bubbles over with the accusation, Lord, don't you care? I'm doing all this for you. Don't you care about me? She's accusing Jesus of overlooking her and that he then doesn't care. And she's also accusing Mary, who's leaving her to do all the work. So that the heart that has let the service overwhelm love tends to accuse others. Just let's rest on this for a moment. If your heart is now overwhelmed with service of Jesus rather than, than, than love for him, You'll tend to accuse other people. You'll be very critical of them because they're not doing what you do. And you may well be criticized, at some level criticizing Jesus himself for not coming through for you. I served as a deacon for 30 years and then my child left the faith. Lord, you owe me. You know, we never say things like that, but we actually do believe them. So what started out here as joyful hospitality has now turned into anxious worry and has turned into self-pity. And that then burns into anger for others. The problem is not service. The problem is the heart. She's let her service of Jesus overwhelm her love for him. And we can do this too. Have you ever felt like this? Let me ask you, friends, is there any area of your life at the moment where you are serving Christ and you are comparing with other people and resenting, you're worried and upset, and you're saying, Lord, don't you care? Do you ever think, why do we always have to use our house for hospitality? Food costs money, you know. And I'm fed up of cleaning the house. And bless you. 
Why do Christians use so much loo roll? <laughs> Doesn't anyone notice that I'm giving so much time to this ministry at this church, whatever it is? Doesn't anyone notice? I never get thanked. I don't even get paid for it. You know, it's not really about the act of service, is it? It's about the heart with which we're doing it. Martha is the parade example of what happens to many Christians, especially the keen ones, the ones who step up and take on responsibility. There's a real danger for us, which is at the heart level. And in some ways, you know, the solution to all this is, is really simple and delightfully real and easy. And in some ways, it's the easiest thing in the world. It's not rocket science. It's to learn from Mary what the real priority is. That's why this is in our Bibles, to sit at the feet of Jesus and devour his word. This is the third point, Mary's priority. We've had the paradox, the problem, now the priority. Read with me again verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. She sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, one scholar says that this is of extraordinary significance. Because in the Jewish world and the Greek and Roman world of this time period, it was unthinkable that a woman would be sitting at Jesus' feet. Why? Because sitting at someone's feet doesn't mean that you are gazing at them like a puppy. Sitting at a teacher's feet means that you are devoted to study, to studying his words and learning everything that you can from him. This is the posture of a dedicated student or a disciple. A disciple basically means a learner, a lifelong learner. That's what Mary's doing. Let me give you a, a, another text that shows this. Acts 22, verse 3. Paul says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. So Paul says, I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. That's the posture of the student. And this is what Mary was doing. And it was quietly revolutionary for that time. Jesus has done something radical here. He's accepted Mary as a student. She's crossed the line in the ancient world, and she's crossed into the men's world. She is hanging on his every word so that she can grow in her love for God. And that's the real priority. It's the first and most important commandment. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we can only do that if we're growing in relationship with him, can't we? I mean, a, an ongoing, living, organic, day-by-day -day relationship that grows as you get older. And we can only do that if we're sitting at Jesus' feet, metaphorically, and feeding on his word. Now, Jesus actually here uses a play on words. He says, Mary has chosen what is better. Literally, he says, Mary has chosen the better portion. It's like a food word. Martha, you're very busy with all these things, preparing all these dishes. But there's a better portion than the, all that food. The better portion is the words of Jesus Christ. The words that God has given us in his scriptures. And this portion will never be taken away. It's the most important meal because it gives you the strength and the nourishment and the sustenance to do everything else. Now, some of you are probably thinking, here we go. 
New Year, and the message is, read your Bible. Well, don't fob this off. We're not just talking about Bible reading. You can do Bible reading without really sitting at Jesus' feet, you know. I used to do Bible reading as a teenager with a Walkman on, remember those, and a cassette player playing the songs of Iron Maiden. Still got my Bible reading done. Wasn't really sitting at Jesus' feet. Was sitting at the feet of Bruce Dickinson, the singer of Iron Maiden. You know, we're not just talking about Bible reading, we're talking about relationship where you sit with Jesus silently in his presence and take his word and sit with it. Now just think about relationship here. Think about the function of words in your closest friendship, your closest relationship. The only thing that keeps your friendship alive and growing with somebody is, is communication, isn't it? You stop communication, it effectively pauses it. Listening. Talking. We listen to him in his word. We talk to him in prayer. And when you stop that, the relationship actually doesn't just pause. It starts to go back. It starts to wither. Mere acts of service don't cut it. Because many of us uh, are so... our, Our temptation is that we will... We will serve rather than sit. I speak to myself. We will ser- I would much rather serve, do something, than sit at Jesus' feet. And the trouble is we get full and full and full of service and the heart begins to wither. Without devouring the words of Jesus and feasting on them in his presence, we don't have enough strength to sustain our service So it starts to exhaust us and sap us. And we don't want to do it anymore and we resent it and we resent other people. Without devouring the words of Jesus, we we make these comparisons and we start to blame and resent others. I'm doing all this. I'm doing all this. It's all about me. What about them? Without devouring the words of Jesus, we become overwhelmed with our own service. It's too much. And it leads us to anger and even bitterness. We forget who it is that we're serving. Now, friends, I'm talk- I've been talking so far to those of us here who are uh, card-carrying, Bible-believing Christians. But in a room this size, there will be others who aren't Christians yet, or you're on the journey. But you're not really, you know it, you're not really living for Jesus Christ. So I just want to put this challenge to you gently. If this is what Jesus said to Martha, who, who is serving him, what would he say to you? about what you're living for. Because ultimately, you're just living for yourself. You're trying to be your own Lord and Savior. Whatever your ambitions, desires, goals, pursuits, that, that will, that's what you're living for. If he says to Martha that Mary's chosen the better thing, and what about you? You're choosing nothing. What you're choosing is worse than nothing. It will lead you... It will lead you to a lost eternity, hell, a place of endless self-consumption. The better thing is to come to Christ while there is yet time. Could be that it's today for someone here. Could be that now is the appointed time, now is the day of salvation for somebody who's right here now. If it is you, I'd love to pray with you afterwards. Don't choose something less than this. 
And that's the most important thing we will hear in 2022, is that we sit at Jesus' feet and devour his words. Here is a great quote from a great Anglican clergyman of the 18th century, Charles Simeon. Just listen to these words. The care of the soul, by whatever term we describe it, is justly called here the one thing needful. Were we to judge by the conduct of the world at large, we would rather call it the one thing needless, since every pursuit, however trifling, is preferred before it. But there is nothing of such value as your soul. The whole world, in comparison with it, is a mirror of vanity. Nor is there any difference in this respect between the rich and the poor. The souls of all are of equal value in the sight of God. All are equally concerned to secure eternal happiness. There's no situation where an attention to spiritual interests can be dispensed with. No situation where in the concerns of eternity should not be uppermost in our minds. Other things may be desirable, but the care of your soul is needful. Absolutely. Universally and indispensably needful. Here's another way of putting it. Will you resolve that whatever happens this year, you will grow as a lover of God? Will you resolve that whatever happens this year, you will grow as a lover of God? Let's pray. Few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Lord, give us that which is better. Give us that better portion. Send your spirit into our hearts now to sweep away the cobwebs, to cleanse the rooms, to open the curtains of our soul, to let the light stream in of your presence, to be hungry for your words so that by them we may know you better and love you who has loved us first. We're going to sing.